You're listening to Bizarre Buffet, a podcast of all-you-can-eat weird. I'm your host, Mark Toriello. I'm Jen Wilson. And I'm Mark Blusine. There'll be food and drink and ghosts. And perhaps even a few murders. You're all invited. When we first went in, one of the people said, Who are you? And Tex said, I'm the devil, and I'm here to do the devil's business. Hello, uglies. Hello. Hey, pus face. Oh, oh. hi, needle nose. Drag. You love Jeff. horror. Horror. Jennifer Wilson. Drag you love. And Bizarre Buffet. This is Bizarre <laughs> Buffet. A podcast. Hi. Of all you can eat. Weird. I'm your host, Jennifer Wilson. I'm Mark Bluestein. <laughs> And I'm Mark Toriello. Oh my god! You actually are. <laughs> Look how that worked out. Wow, we're good. We're so good. Oh. So we have a special guest today on our show. Oh, we are so thrilled. So thrilled. I'm like, I'm really nervous. We're starstruck. We are nervous, starstruck. But wait, before we have them on. Okay. Let's have a little chat. Let's have a pre-chat. Pre-chat. Yeah. Pre-chat. Okay. And you guys are joining us. Okay, sit on the couch real close to us, okay? We'll, we'll whisper. We'll whisper at you. So has does anyone here have any stories or personal stories about, like, body modification? Of course. Oh, my God. Tattoos, piercings, limb I, removal. I limb. got my first ear piercings when I was two years old. Really? I was one of those little Italian girls with oh. the short brown hair <laughs> and the little gold studs. Gro- Listen, hashtag growing up Italian. Yes, growing up Italian. That's you know, the little the little gold bracelet oh my around the little chubby arm. Oh, God, with <laughs> some little chubby, chubby arms. I feel like that was like the common look for us growing up in New Jersey. Listen, oh, yeah. If you didn't have a bracelet and a set of earrings by the time you were eight months old, you're a loser. I'm just kidding. Wait, but you know, I saw a lot of like young Italian men with the necklace and it has like a horn. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, the Italian the, horn. The maloch. Oh, okay. I it's just like, well. it's, it's, oh, the bullhorn. This is the maloch with oh. the, the fingers. The bullhorn, I think um, it's just like, I want to say the bullhorn. I don't think it's good luck. I think it's like keeping mm-hmm. evil away. Oh, okay. I well, it worked. That, I thought that I was, was never the, around. The, the, the thing with the evil eye. Evil eye. The, the, what I just did with my hands. The malocchio. No, malocchio. This is, this is, I'm sorry, this is the shocker. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the malocchio. <laughs> the malocchio. Well, I mean, uh, for me... I started doing um, body modification. I guess I was probably 12 and a chunky boy um, who looked like a lesbian young woman, which is is fine. And I probably went with my cousin from Brooklyn um, to like a Claire's or a piercing pagoda. This is not an endorsement. We don't support you. Um, And they, you know, gave me a really shitty piercing that made me look I don't know. Like a young lesbian's biker club. <laughs> what is it? You, wait, wait, what, what kind of piercing was it? It was just like a basic bitch port piercing. <laughs> I know it was. And I looked really awkward. Um, but you know what? It's fine. I can still feel, feel the scar tissue. Um, I do have a lot of tattoos now, which I do love. And they have been well done, unlike my first 
piercing pagoda piercing. But I am. We are all about body modification. I, for one, am getting triple F breasts soon. <laughs> what about uh, you, Mark? Well, um, I have a great body mod piercing story to share with you guys. Oh, tell, tell me, do you have a Prince Albert? Oh. I have a King Albert. Thank oh, you. Okay. No, listen, I don't. Just kidding. Don't get carried away. I don't think there is such thing. But um, when I was, I think, fourteen years old or fifteen, I wanted to get my nipple pierced because <laughs> I was, I liked, you know, Blink-182 and I know that Mark Hoppus had his nipple pierced mm-hmm. and I thought he was so cool. He was so hot too. Yeah, he was cute. Yeah, he Mark's, was the hottest. Mark's calling him cool, but he was yeah. really, he had a little boy boner. I had a, yeah, <laughs> you are <laughs> disgusting. But uh, him and I had the same first and middle name, just so you know. And um, he had his left nipple pierced and I thought that was really cool. And my little punk friends and I, they were like, Mark, you should get your nipple pairs. And I'm like, yeah, I totally should. So we drove out to uh, Queens, New York, and we went. They had like these little like market fair things. Mm. And we went to like one of the vendors and it was like literally like an alley with carts. And I went, I went to, I went to a piercing cart and he was like a piercing cart to get my nipple pierced. And he was like, Oh, how old are you? And I was like 18, but I look like a nine year old. I didn't start looking like a teenager till I hit like 30. (laughs) So I looked a lot younger. Mark now looks like a, um, fully realized teenager. Yeah. So, um, I got my nipple pierced at a shady place and they absolutely did clean everything. So you guys know it was all, um, you know, consensual. It was all sterile and, Uh, um, that's good. I had it for a few years and then one day I was getting dressed and a bracelet got stuck in it and I ripped it out. Oh God. But just so everyone knows my nipple healed and it looks fantastic. Yes, um, his areola surgery went fantastically. And he didn't have areola surgery. I'm just. Uh, and I have a few cool tattoos. He does. Yeah, I have really, some tattoos I, you know, too. Got a little body mods. So. I have my nose pierced, my yeah. belly button ring. Yeah, I have um one on my lower back that says one way, and you know what I mean. <laughs> I have. It's fine. It's fine. It I was, think like when this is all over, the three of us should go to a tattoo parlor and pick a tattoo out and not tell each other what we're getting until we're done. Oh, that's very dangerous. That's very dangerous. And for the three of us, we are like one uppers. We are one third uppers. I don't know. My tattoos are curated. Yeah. So that's going to be a no for me. Oh. Sorry. Well, I guess it's just going to be Jen and I. It's just going to be me and Mark. <laughs> be like, uh, you have a butt plug now. <laughs> and you have an arrow pointing down to your butt saying, enter here. <laughs> You're like, remember when you made a joke about it? Now you really now have you it. Really have it forever. Yeah, enjoy, asshole. <laughs> <laughs> no pun intended. Yes. All right. So, do we want to talk about. Yeah, of course. I mean, yeah, let's do it. Okay. So our guest today is drumroll. We have we have drag performer Hollow Eve. Yes, yes Hollow Eve. Eve. <laughs> and Hollow Eve was recently on season three of Dragula. Yes, which is on Netflix. 
And what we really liked about Hollow Eve was that their drag is very conceptual. Mm-hmm. And um, Hollow identifies themselves as a post-binary drag artist that has a penchant for anarchy. Oh, a penchant. Um, and hates capitalism. Fuck capitalism. So they're perfect for our show. Absolutely. They are a wonderful, bizarre buffet guest. And yes. Some of the things that they specialize in and we'll get into later is um, the use of needles in their work and also live bugs and blood. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hollow Eve is such a fascinating person. I mean, they truly are. Um, they're performance artists in all senses. Um, what they do is so fascinating. And the uh, statements that they make with every single performance is just so fascinating it is it absolutely is and and what i loved on the show was i think hollow was probably the most outspoken yes um drag drag artist yeah that was on the show absolutely they had some really cool looks that i really liked yeah halloween was definitely um one of my personal favorites while watching the show Very unapologetic for who they are, which is something that I admire in people. Mm -hmm. Entirely. And, you know, we need more of that now. And I think, you know, we could kind of, you know, I'm sure we'll get into this later once Hollow Eve joins us. But, you know, it's um, if you do like a RuPaul's Drag Race comparison, you Mm -hmm. know, RuPaul's Drag Race is very much, you know, I mean, entertainment is entertainment. Yes, we get that. Um, but there's not as much creativity or personal expression involved. And I think, you know, someone like Hollow Eve, who was given this platform with Dragula to actually bring what they do when there's not, you know, this set standard of, mm-hmm. well, you have to be a man to do this and right. you have to do this thing and that thing. So it truly is, you know, such a new and conceptual idea Um, and the thing that i also love about dragula as mm -hmm. opposed to drag race is they the boulet brothers are always constantly reminding the contestants that you know drag is art art is subjective yes and the fact that they're not being judged based on their actual drag but based on you know the challenge did they meet the the competition challenge guidelines. Yeah, and I think that's more of how it should be, you know? Absolutely. It it gives more people an opportunity to showcase, like, what they do as an artist as opposed to one specific guideline, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. It really covers, you know, a spectrum. So we're so excited to talk to Hollow Eve and... They will be joining us very soon. Welcome, Hollow. Welcome, Hollow. Hello. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will even distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. I mean, how cool is that, right? It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. On with the show. 
So I just want to start because um, on your Instagram, you describe yourself as a post-binary drag socialist. And I would love if you can explain that for us and our listeners. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Post-binary was um, essentially a theory that came out in San Francisco. It's not really a theory. It's just the idea that, um, you know, to say that something is, uh, you know, it's, it's to say that we're not just beyond the binary stage, but that it never existed. That there were always trans people, there were always non-binary people, there were always two-spirit people, and there always will be. So there's a past, a present, and a future of this, and there's a lot of, I like, you know, and like, it specifically was used to address um, that, that representation within media and art. So like, it was a conversation had around like, you know, authors like Ursula, Ursula Le Guin, who um, were already representing, you know, trans and non-binary um, <clears throat> um, characters in fiction and whatnot. So like, you know, it's this idea that, um, you know, because I myself, I say I'm not non-binary, um, and, and, th and that is accurate. I am, I, I just don't associate with any, any gender. Mm -hmm. Um, you're you know, your I own person. The, I, 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 <laughs> I walk through the world, uh, and I'm most often perceived as a woman. Um, so, you know, I definitely experience the challenges of that within society. Um, but you know, so the post-binary for me was a way to free myself from the construct of gender in a performance mm -hmm. of, you know, my performance is to prove that people are people and people have dignity. Um, you know, it, it's meant to say that, you know, uh, oh, well, this gets into, this is going to go, this is going to go maybe too far, but you know, go um, for it. Go, go for, for it. it. This yeah. is bizarre buffet. Honey. <laughs> this is the moment. <laughs> yeah. When I, when I think about binary gender, you know, what I always say is what a man is, is to fuck a woman. And what a woman is, is an object to be fucked by a man. Mm. And that as queer people, we have to escape entirely out of this. This is also why often heterosexual people don't understand the difference between sexuality and gender because gender on a binary actually has to do with who you fuck. Mm -hmm. uh, and so like, you know, I didn't, I just don't, I don't want to be an object and I don't want to be an aggressor. I want to be a person and I want to have dignity and I, I want to be able that. to tell their stories, know. Well, you know, and also, also I want to be able to represent the toxic side of both of those things and like work my way through it because no matter who you are, you can be a homosexual and be homophobic. You can be trans and you can be transphobic. You can be a woman and you can be a misogynist. Mm -hmm. You can perpetuate masculine, uh, toxic masculinity as a woman on your child. Like we are perpetuating these social and structural societal norms of gender that, you know, may or may not actually fit the being we're pushing them on. Yeah. Well, it's good to hear this directly from you because beforehand, you know, like Mark and I are, you know, we're gay men. We're in a relationship for a long time. Um, Jen is an I ally. Didn't, I didn't know. I'm and, sorry. I'm you just know, kidding. <laughs> <laughs> you jerk. But um, so basically, you know, we're, we're familiar with a lot of the terms in the community, but this is to be truthful, this is the first time I ever heard the term post-binary. Yeah. So hearing because it directly from you is really nice. Yeah. Because it was created in reference to actual media versus right. a, as to a human identity. And so when I was looking at what what is a drag queen, what is a drag king, and I have been both a drag king and a drag queen before I was a post-binary drag socialist with a pawn shop for anarchy. <laughs> so like, this is my third drag name, right? And like... Um, uh, you know, in, in terms of, uh, you know, breaking down why do we need these monarchal structures, that's mm -hmm. a very gendered thing. Mm -hmm. It's also a very 
um, you know, kind of in, in some ways it's a very toxic thing. It's a very political thing, but people don't think of it as political because they think of it as something in the past, mm-hmm. you know, um, and it's not in the past. Uh, <laughs> um, but like, you know, so, so I was like, I want to break this down, you know, and, and I wondered if the ego could be broken down by releasing the monarchical structure of drag king and queen, which is very gendered. Absolutely. And so, you know, like, and also like maybe just have the confidence to go make an, to make art on stage and find that in yourself instead of needing to have it over others, mm-hmm. which is something that comes with monarchy and maybe comes with some of the drama you encounter in the drag scene, um, mm-hmm. you know, and really in any mm-hmm. other scene that you might. And so mine was like a breakdown of it. Like what, what do I want to see in the world? I want to see a lot more equity. Yeah. I want to see uh, shared spaces. I want right. more shared open spaces so that, you know, more members of the community have a safe space and our spaces are safe for the community. And it's also a little bit outrageous for me to have a title that's like post-binary drag socialist with a penchant for anarchy. You like should have it. <laughs> I know, and I'll take it. It's okay, <laughs> that it's okay that it's a little obnoxious. I kind of like that it's we, obnoxious no. because it's a deconstruction of drag king. And you know obnoxious and is necessary. It is, and yeah. people in this day and age, especially in this world that we live in, people need things shoved into their face that show equality. And people are people. Yeah. no matter who you are and you're mm-hmm. out there you're doing it well i always love your your choice of words like like the word penchant again i didn't know what that word was until i discovered you and then <laughs> you used a word um on dragula that i am obsessed with and it's called pejorative he has said this so many times let me tell did you did you fall in love with the word uh, i did I and i didn't know like i didn't know what it meant when you said it and just from your emotion, I was like, I think I know what this word means, but I had to go on Google search and look up pejorative. And I was like, oh my God. Yeah. But but yeah, yeah I'm glad you're using the it. The way you conveyed the word made us believe that whatever <laughs> yeah. you were saying meant so much that we needed to figure it out. So, <laughs> well, um, and that's something um, sometimes I have to struggle with is like, and, and I've had friends who check me on it. Um, I when I was a kid, all I did I loved reading books all the time, and I I read like I read late um, as a kid, but I started once I started reading, you couldn't stop me, you mm. know, and I was voracious a voracious reader and like I think that you know my vocabulary got really big when I was young, you know, mm. and even then. When I see words I don't know, I look them up and like write them out into sentences so that I can keep using them. I love because that. I just think language is so delicious. <laughs> I need to do more of that. Well, you know something, Hollow. If I can ask you a question, um, so, <laughs> and this just came to me. So now, you know, speaking of the constructs and everything that we were just discussing, right? So for you, what is the main differentiating aspect from like RuPaul to Dragula? What would you say, like, because I don't know, correct me if I'm wrong. I know you will, and I hope you do if I am. <laughs> um, but, like, <laughs> and I encourage it. But I would say, like, someone like Hollow Eve would be like, fuck RuPaul's drag race. And, I do say that often. Okay. And, like, so tell me about it. We want to know, like, what for you is like, I would never even look in the direction of that show, and Dragula is like, okay, I'm going to sign up for it. Because I'm sure that. Will- mm-hmm. Yeah, no, no, sorry, I don't. I, I'm sorry that I. I no, no, please go ahead. Um, uh, I would say that um, I definitely watched um, uh, earlier seasons of RuPaul's Drag Race, and there was, you know, maybe a time, you know, uh, 
you know, but, but it built, it kept building on itself. The, the comments that RuPaul would make mm-hmm. just kept building on themselves until I couldn't watch it anymore. Also the show left uh, a specific, a specific structure wherein like I enjoyed RuPaul's drag race when they had to make everything. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed it more when people weren't spending $50,000 on designer clothing. Um, I don't per se see that and and just instantly think this is just so brilliant. I think it's more brilliant when people can make something out of nothing. Um, And if, and it seems like to me is that um, Dragula kind of gave that platform to people because I mean, for me personally, um, and I'm, and I'm sure for everyone here is that with Dragula, you know, it was the first time you were seeing on a show like this, like a drag King, you know, uh, people who weren't just, identifying as men who were doing mm-hmm. drag and which the thing is great that i love is every episode how you know the boule brothers always say drag is art and art is subjective yes and that was just always so like refreshing to hear mm-hmm. you know because what, I, what does that mean to you in the context of someone being judged do you know mm. what I mean? Because it's, right. it's, it's subjective. Art's subjective. And, I, and that statement is made because you as an artist and the people watching could have a different opinion. Exactly. Than the and that's, and that's, that's, that's the reality. But, you know, I mean, I think artists, equally as subjective on RuPaul's Drag Race. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. once again, you're looking at judges and it does come probably down to Michelle Visage and RuPaul. Mm-hmm. Right? And like yeah. whatever the narrative they've constructed over the course of the season, that's not any less subjective. There's yeah. still things that each one is, are looking for. There's still some kind of thing that they're asking people to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, the state, statement being said is one thing, you know? Yeah. Um, uh, but it, it, it's actually pretty true no matter what. Art is subjective. That's just a simple fact. What is yeah. art to me may not be art to you. Mm-hmm. But, like, you, it's your choice whether or not you respect art you don't mm-hmm. see as art. Yeah. Right. You know? Or you respect the process of creation or the fact that that is art to someone else. Or if you want to go in on someone and say, that's not art, that's not good. And you're trying to, you know, basically take away its value based on your personal, you know, disinterest in it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So in in your personal opinion, do you yeah. think that, I mean, and I mean, I'm not asking you to say something that like, you know, could be a problem for you either way, but I mean, and if it is, listen, I'm, that's, I'm always problematic. Oh my God. <laughs> me too. I love it. We're in the same sinking boat together. All of us. Um, it's true. But, um, so, I mean, just like listening to you and I mean, you bring up very valid points that I think make a lot of sense. Um, but would you say that Dragula is almost trying to pose itself as something that is more relatable, but actually is the same kind of present with a different wrapping in a way, if that makes sense? Um, I, I mean, okay. Um, it's reality TV. Mm -hmm. It's a reality TV competition these shows are all formed based on what survivor and top model Mm -hmm. um and then what we have with dragula is you get a little fear factor you know they're looking for bad girls club they're loving top top model you know like i love new york yeah you know you know that they're looking they're looking for that kind of stuff so you know actually i think most reality television competitions are pieced together based on other reality competitions and it's like we're gonna do this we're gonna twist it like this so, you know, do I think there's similarities? Yes, they're both drag competitions. Yeah. You know, I mean, 
almost um, a dragon is a lot more specific, though, isn't it? It is because I could I could go on RuPaul. Well, if, if I was allowed on RuPaul's Drag Race, <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> there, and that's another divide, issue right? in itself. There's yeah, RuPaul's Drag Race is extremely transphobic. It's misogynistic. They mm -hmm. talk all the time about how they're a leader in telling queer stories, but to them, that only means gay men. Yeah. They define people by their genitalia, by their gender, like you know. And so it's it, you know. And people go, but look at all the good they're doing, getting our message out into the heterosexual world. Look right. at all the harm they're doing, telling the mm -hmm. heterosexual world that trans people don't deserve to do an art form that is actually reserved like for this whole community. And trans women have fucking been a part of it the whole time. Yeah. It really frustrates me because how dare you take some of our most at-risk members of our community and then put them, you know, and, and, and isolate them even, even further. But then you use this giant platform to tell the rest of the world to do the same. And yeah. that's already happening in laws that are rolling out and rolling out and rolling out. Mm -hmm. So I'm sorry, no longer does the good of telling the stories of gay men counteract the bad of mm. the narrative that they write for queer women, for uh, non-binary and trans people. It's so, done. I, I yeah. entirely agree with you. And something that I've wanted to ask as a female is, where do you see the direction of the representation of females going in the drag world? I mean, it's not open yet. <laughs> Um, mm -hmm. I mean, even 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 with the presence of Landon on the show, even with my non-binary um, presence on the show, it's it's it, that that's 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 like maybe like maybe an unlock of the door. It's mm -hmm. not it's not through. I think we haven't moved the community. You know, often our shows are going to be a reflection of how our communities operate as well, and they'll influence each other. So if we can create a more inclusive community, not a tokenizing community, I think we're still in tokenization zone. We tokenize uh, BIPOC, queer and trans people. We tokenize queer women. We tokenize intersex people. We tokenize um, dis disabled people. We tokenize and tokenize and tokenize and tokenize. Hello, um, I have a question real quick because um, you're yeah. using a great word that I've never <laughs> I've never used. What can you explain what exactly token tokenizing is? Um, well, to, to put in, the, you know, this, I'll, I'll give you a, a scenario that you've probably seen. Um, it's it's a show. It's um, eight white drag queens and mm -hmm. one black. Gotcha. Okay. There you go. And it's the same one black queen every week. It's a show with 12 drag performers and one drag queen and two black drag queens and everyone else is white. Yeah. It's, gotcha. This, this is like, like tokenization is where, you know, it's not actually inclusive. It's like an effort to appear... Inclusive. Yeah, it's like in it horror might, films in the 80s. It might a little bit more to like, you know, now we're, we're connecting it to words like performative, but it is a little bit on that performative level, mm. you know, and tokenization and like, you know, using one voice in a sea of the powerful voices, mm. you know, the people who have, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, white skin privilege, gender privilege, yeah. you know, they have um, fiscal privilege. I mean, it's also very layered, but, you know, drag, um, you know, is, is uses, uses the currency of sexual uh, uh, objectification. Mm -hmm. So like, that's why so much of it, you know, goes around um, white cis gay men. And I don't point a finger and I don't mean to say that to say like each individual white cis gay men. We have an economic structure that prioritizes white cis gay men. Even RuPaul's Drag Race does this. Yeah. Um, you know, and um, 
you know, that structure makes sure that the money always stays in these hands. It makes sure that the producers are always white cis gay men. It means that, you know, what we need to have a breakthrough on is who are the voices leading us and structuring this society. And it should no longer be predominantly, I'm not saying that white cis gay men can't be leaders. I'm saying it should not predominantly be only white cis gay men. Yeah, I mean, it's why I I hate Andy Cohen. He sucks. Oh, God. I can't fucking stand Andy Cohen for that reason. So one thing I want to get into is um, I know with your art, you do a lot of performances with needles and Mm -hmm. some I saw some images of you that were just so fantastic. Um, You had like it looked like hundreds of these needles in your faces and it looks like they were attached to these like bungee cord like cables and they were forming these linear designs. Um, So we would love to hear. I'm trying to remember I'm trying to think about what you're talking about. It's like, <laughs> I did some stalking. But, um, are they needles or are they staples? I, it, I have so many looks. I'm so sorry. That, no, is it on Instagram? It is on, it is on Instagram. I think I saw it on your website, but it looked like. Oh, I know what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, and it almost formed like a triangular formation. So um, uh, that's a specific installation I did in Pittsburgh at, um, I did it twice. I did it in Pittsburgh at the Mattress Factory, and then I did it at a gallery in Newfoundland in Canada. Um, uh, the first one I did before Dragula, and the second one I did post-Dragula. Um, and they definitely um, uh, change a little bit. definitely changed a little bit over the course of it. But um, it essentially is me suspended in a, uh, like a cube of, um, like a, uh, a cube st- uh, frame structure. Mm-hmm. Like a, uh, and then... Uh, my face is stapled. Um, it's stapled like um, I, let's let's put a number on there, like thirty-five to fifty times. And then out of each staple, there is a piece of elastic, white elastic, so that my head begins to kind of imitate. Not like it doesn't have to be like specific or you know, but it's it's meant to be a dandelion wish. Um, it's gotcha. meant to be. And then, and then from my chest, I have pins, I have needles pinned into my chest and there's green roots that go from my chest and then the elastic extends into the ground. Um, and so it's like this idea of me being rooted and then me being this, and then the whole cube of like the wood, wood frame is like laced with a monofilament, which is fishing line. So it's a little hard to see it, but when you're in the right light, it like flashes and is like really, it has a shine and it'll like reflect the light and it's all black light reactive. So I just glow. So when you would walk into the space for the first hour, um, you know, you could come to me and if you, if you felt comfortable, most people, a lot of people don't feel comfortable coming near me when I look like that. Right. So, um, I have, I have, I had, um, I think I had, um, about, uh, 60 pins in my chest. Um, and if you came to me, I asked you if you had a wish and then I, and then we would go through a process by which we both closed our eyes and then they would blow on me. And when they blew on me, I would release my, a needle from my chest and seal wow. their wish blood. Oh, and that's, then, wow. that's so cool. You are truly then, a performance artist. I love it. Well, and then this actually actually terminates in a drag number. So, like, by the time I finish releasing all of that, it's been I've been through like an, an entrance to the show, maybe an intermission as well. But I just stay suspended in the cage for like an hour to an hour and a half, and then um, 
for my actual piece, if, if you've seen on my Instagram, I did a, um, uh, my very first digital drag number was to Bjork's all neon like, mm-hmm. um, and it's like my face stretched and like, uh, in a frame, but it looks kind of like this, like, uh, my, like, it almost looked like, just... like a, like rays of light coming out of your, yeah. your face. Yeah, and so I, that was that's the digital version of this number. But what I do with it that so I use that track from All Neon Like, and I cut the dandelion wish free, and then I cut myself out of the structure, and then I like literally am holding, um, you know, uh, I either have people who follow me with like small bright flashlights um that are um a combination of things so like it'll either be someone with a tight spot on my face and then the rest of it stays in kind of a a black light um uh, style light and i just perform my way through to the audience to the stage Um, absolutely incredible yeah and another question that i have is you know i know that you pose many questions in your art um Mm -hmm. and I just I'm curious how you were able to find that middle ground um, between your artistic statements versus the given weekly challenges on Dragula. Um, Mm -hmm. And if you can give us like an example of one of the weekly challenges. Okay. yeah, sure. Um, Well, I mean, I could go through all of them, you know, really. I mean, uh, I would start also like, you know, um, my favorite look that I made for the show was my promo look with all the rusted screws. Um, Yeah. uh, And I thought about it a lot, and I was like, you know what? No one like me has ever done this before, Uh, so I'm kind of screwed, but I'm here to screw people over. I'm here to screw with their minds. I'm here to do it my way, you know? And I'm obsessed with rust, with mold. I'm obsessed with decay, actually, because I feel like we, we, we fear these things because it's we are decaying. That's what living is. To live is to mold, is to rust, is to decay, mm-hmm. you know? So, like, I think about it as this decomposition. And, like, you know, that's why, I you know, I love change. And, like, I know that I will be a different person in five years, ten years. Right. Because I'm... I love the celebration of the breakdown of, you know, the things that I have to break down within myself to love myself more, to find my space in society, to, um, you know, be the person that I need to be to help others, to be the person I need to be to help my family, to be the person I need to be to, you know, live in, in, in the way that, that, uh, will, will be, uh, you know, most reflective and helpful in the moment. Right. Mm -hmm. But that idea that I'm constantly going to be changing and to like, you know, love that molding, you know, um, I wasn't really interested in competitions. I'm not, I'm still not. Um, that's absolutely the last competition I will ever do. Um, art isn't the competition. Right. I don't, and I feel like I don't think anyone's less or more because of a competition, but we have, we live in a capitalist society. Um, We sure do. (laughs) And that, that is, that is definitely reflective uh, of these, of these competitive shows. And I, I knew that when I was going on Dragula, what I was going to do was I wasn't going to use the platform to win. I was going to use it to say hard shit. And you know I what? Love that. That's so yeah. punk rock of you. It, it, no, it <laughs> truly is a true anarchist. And it's, it was very clear. Yeah, too. it was. Because you know what? Watching you was the most real experience I think I have ever seen on, I guess, a quote unquote reality TV show. Because what you're saying right now 
is very true to how you appeared on TV. You know, it was very much like you were there to promote and to put out your art and your mission. And never once did it come across as though you were like, yeah, but I still want to win. I still want, like, I never got that yeah, vibe Yeah, I from felt you. like you came in to do your thing. Yeah. You know, you're because like, here I am. This is what I do. This is my point of view. Take it or leave it. Yeah. You know? In the immortal words of Disasterina, to compare <laughs> is to despair. <laughs> to the um, comparison. Just, and, uh, and, like, if I were to spend my life comparing myself to artists who literally do do something amazing but totally different, I would always be unhappy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I would always be unhappy. And when you look at Dragula Season 3, when you look at the cast, it is a spectacular fucking cast. It is. It's a range of incredible artists. And, you know, a, a, quite a few of whom I was friends with before. Um, I was friends with Landon. I was friends with Louisiana. I was friends with Yoska. Two of our, other, Two of our We love them. We yeah. want, it's funny because we all, like, you know, before watching and everything, we talked about who our top three choices would be. And it was you, Landon, and Louisiana Purchase. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. I mean, both of them. You know, and that's also, you just hit the tier of the three oldest people in the cast. (laughs) (laughs) Well, well, you know what? I guess we're in the same group. (laughs) Maybe that's part of it. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's kind of beautiful. You know, there are parts of it, you know, I I definitely think that, um, you know, the hard parts, like for me watching it, like I'm I'm never going to watch it again, first and foremost. I think that when you, like if you look at a picture of an event you went to, the picture starts reframing what you experienced. Yes. Yeah. So, like, when I watched the TV show, it reframes what I experienced. Like, not necessarily in a bad way, just the way that a picture can't really reframe your experience of something, but it does make the experience of something, like, revolve around an image, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, for me, I I kind of wanted to step away from it because there's so many amazing moments I don't want to forget to the reality TV show side of it, you know? Um, Like, so many close moments with so many people. I'm such a, like, nurturer and such a, like, you know, um, so, like, and that's not necessarily something you see on the show um, very much. And, like, I think probably after I watched episode two, I was like, am I ever going to be a human being or am I just going to be a mouth? Well, can I, can I ask you, do you think that, I mean, did editing play a role in depicting you as a person who was like, they were like, well, you know what? Hollow Eve, you know, we have a lot of these moments. So it, it kind of worked for them to make you just like what you were oh, saying. Oh, they had even more moments. Really? We filmed for how many hours to get a one-hour episode? I can only I imagine. Mean, like, like I mean, I, 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 they get to put it together the, they, the way they want it. I can't say that it's not me. Yeah. That's me. I said right. that. I did that. Yeah, it is you, you know? of course. Yeah. That's me. That's I remember there being a lot of talking about like things that happened, you know, off off camera. Off camera, yeah. Yeah. A yeah. lot. They like alluded to that a lot on the show. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like what's so strange about it is like we really can't talk about it. Right. You know? Like, you can't. So it's like I love to tell you, but I can't. <laughs> yeah. You know, kind of moment, you know. But like there's, there's a lot of stuff that goes on, you know, off camera, you know, and the, a huge portion of the experience is off camera, you know, and mm-hmm. like the relationships are also 
you know, forged off camera, you know, mm-hmm. not just within the construct of the, you know, cause in the one hour of Dragula or like the anywhere from what 50 minutes to an hour, you know, um, how much is the actual cast? Yeah. Because the first part is the boulets and then there's the intro. Mm-hmm. No, it's very then, true. You know, there's not actually that much time with the cast. So when people message me and they're like, why can't you just shut up talking for 30 minutes about the word fish? And I was like, that was like literally one minute. Oh, my God. Like, <laughs> like listen. Like a great moment. Like, I know. It was so good. <laughs> so good. It was so good. Schooled everyone. You know. So what has, like, life been like for you after Dragula? And how has your art evolved since then? Well, I spent a year touring a number that was meant to challenge the trauma and PTSD of being on a reality TV show. And mark my words, anyone you've ever met has trauma from that. So um, every every drag race queen has trauma. All you have to do is talk to them a little bit, like, to, to know. Um, there's also, like, and I'm not talking just about drag. I'm talking about all reality TV. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is, is, and I, and I don't, I don't, you know, re- all reality TV to me has this element where they've reframed what the word, they've redefined the word reality. Um, and it's a, now it's a gaslighting mechanism because the two words fight each other's meaning. Um and uh, just in that way, that's how you get, like, so many fans who, um, like, take everything to a point where, like, they have to, like, reach out to you to, like, threaten your life or say the meanest possible things, you know? Because, like, literally, they're, they're thinking, they're, they could say all they want, oh, it's not real, it's reality TV. But just by saying reality TV, you've just restructured what that meant in your mind. Absolutely. And I think most people probably feel like most people aren't able to think beyond like they're like, well, this is in front of me. So this exists. This is the way things are, which isn't the case. Well, it's also to say you've never met someone. Yeah. But there's something about reality TV that makes you think they've met you. And I just keep reminding people that the reason that Donald Trump is our president is because of reality TV. Mm -hmm. And you should think about that just a little bit more. Amen. Amen. what, what, What convinced so much of the country that he's a good businessman? It was literally a lie on television. Absolutely. I think that is brilliant and so couldn't be more true. It's a scary time. Yeah, it, it, right now we are at we're at a precipice, and it is a terrifying precipice. And even someone like me, who you know leans to you know uh, definitely more progressive, uh, more destructive, more anarchist idea ideologies, you know, um, sees why the the fears are are running so deep around the voting system right now. Yeah. So um, you know, I, I just think like. Yeah, so I don't know. I mean, life post Dragula, I, you know, I'm, uh, you know, it's it's an interesting idea to think that people know me at all or know who I am. I still think that's a little bit surreal. Um, I've had an enjoyable time, like being able to tour to to places. I never thought that I, I'm. So here's we'll start here. I I've been in the drag scene since about 2003, and um, I was under no misconception that somehow my drag would become popularized enough for me to be a successful drag performer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and when I say successful, I don't mean that my art isn't valuable. I mean that my art is not fiscally successful wherein that is what I do for a living, mm-hmm. you know? Um, 
And I'm not, I'm, I, I was fully aware of the fact that just because I was on a TV show didn't mean that I would be able to step into a world to have a career in these things. Um, you know, the people who had a career before Dragula already doing full-time drag are the ones who are, have a career doing full-time drag now, mm-hmm. you know? So, um, like, uh, there was never going to be a way that my art became popularized enough for me to be getting booked in spaces that literally would never book me, you know? Yeah. Although I'd been, I performed in some of those spaces, you know? But, like, um, so I'm, I'm always really happy to be doing, like, I still, I still want to be in little grungy, like, punk bars and, like, the spaces where I can get away with, like, murder on stage. <laughs> um, the, murder, yes. the murder of my body. <laughs> well, and, and I, I would like to kind of bounce off of that so i'm sure i mean you have done um drag as divine um pink flamingos what is your influence from john waters and the work that he does Um, i mean he's really good at uh laughing mm -hmm. at the world for being so fucked up He's really good at running parallels. I mean, filth is just endlessly amazing. It is. To me, it's the most it's one of the most interesting subjects. And often filth filth borders horror so hard and both are glamorous. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And horror is also campy. So when I think about, you know, this kind of influx of these three things tangoing together as like an, an ideology, it's 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 a fun or like not an ideology, but as like the theme for something. It's a very fun and connected group of ideas, right? Or yeah. um, you know, but filth is incredible. John Waters movies are incredible. I oh, mean, I are. think I, the first time I saw pink flamingos was pink flamingos being the first one that I saw, although probably I saw hairspray before that, but like the first like divine divine movie I saw was pink flamingos. I was 14 years old. Um, oh, and pink I, flamingos and female trouble. The best Mark, yeah. Mark and I are trying to plan a trip to Baltimore to try to find the burnt down trailer. <laughs> we are because <laughs> apparently it's still there. Apparently you could still find remains of it in the woods somewhere. What? Yes. Well, that- you should just, there's a drag queen that would know in Baltimore if that was true. I'll ask her. Oh, oh you'll have to let us know. Please confirm. He runs if you a part called the, I performed at her party called The Filthiest People Alive. Oh, oh that's amazing. amazing. It really filth is. Filth my politics. Filth it's is my, my life. life. <laughs> well, I know, um, well, I know right now you're involved in Plague Mass, which yeah. you can subscribe to from subscribester.com. And yeah. it's $10 a month subscription, and it's 18 plus, zero rule space for queer art creation. It's incredible. We've watched some. Yeah. It's amazing. So can you tell yeah. us about, I'm, yeah, I'm well, assuming that's what you're doing now, especially during COVID times. Yeah. I mean, I, I we ended up taking a break for a month because I feel like July was this mass month of trauma. Um, and my artists, I, I've been having trouble, you know, I keep this very open space for artists to really take care of themselves. So if they need to walk away from a show, I keep that really open because I think that we don't do enough to emphasize that the, the artist's their instrument is their body, their mind, you know, and their emotional health, you know? So I like to prioritize art and artists and like making sure that they're taken care of, you know? And in July I was in an emotional wreck and also 
like so many of my artists went into trauma zone in July. There must have been also something astrologically happening. Um, uh, mm-hmm. But that was, we did take a we did take a break in July. But we're we're going to be coming back. Um, I've got one coming out tomorrow, and uh, we're going to be coming back um, in September. But then in October, we're starting uh, the process of doing three separate shows a month. And so uh, things will kind of start shifting around a little bit in October um, and hopefully we'll have more and more content. But it's like it's literally a space where there are no rules. Um, I don't want us to disconnect like the um, the things that have made us feel so different from society, from our art, because that's what's happening now. It's like you like everybody is like, you know, turned into some kind of pure, pure angel, you know, but like these are these are people you know, who have gone through a lot of strife in their life due to sexuality and gender Mm -hmm. and, you know, identity. And I I, like stripping them of that, like, which is what I feel like RuPaul's Drag Race does now, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, there was like a moment when one of the queens, there was a video of her having her dick sucked at Folsom Street Fair. uh, And um, like the, the world went crazy. And I was like, really? Like, Mm -hmm. this is a show where there are, you know, mostly gay men uh, on it, and um, like, why are you upset that they're actually gay and they do these things? Yeah, you know, and I like, think that's I, 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 it's a big part of the issue, though. You know, it's kind of like you know my day-to-day job. I do hair, and you know something. When I meet new people, they expect me to be, "Hey, girl, how are you? What's going on? Let's go shopping together." And I'm not that person by any you know, stretch of the imagination. So yeah. I think it's kind of, it, it's, it parallels very similarly because... Well, it also has to do with the audience, right? RuPaul is cultivating a predominantly heterosexual audience. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So like, you know, to disconnect this from, you know, the fact that they're gay or from gay sex is like, you know not surprising, but I like the nitty gritty of everything. I like, I like total freedom. Um, I, I, I don't know that there are a lot of, there are, there are, there are certainly no limits that I know of for plague mass at this moment, unless of course it's unconsensual. Anything without consent is not, is the only rule, you know? So mm-hmm. like, I'm not going to be interested in, you know, murder or, you know, anything that happens without sexual assault on the show, anything like mm-hmm. that, unless they're depicting their own experience of it. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, um, but I, you know, I just wanted a free space this time. The time right now is the perfect time to be elevating the voices of artists and what they're experiencing in this world. Um, and it's not about entertainment. And I think that that's the thing that, you know, a lot of people want it to be entertaining, more entertaining in the way that they, a more traditional drag show is. But this is a space for artists to not think about their audience and to just create what they have and what they need to say with their art. And, like, to feel free to make those pieces you can't make on Twitch. Because the second I heard the rules for Twitch, I was like, I need a different platform. Mm-hmm. Because... And I, then I said, I'm, I'm never going to be anything but a floating head, you know, um, uh, because, like, my body's illegal on these platforms. Yeah. Um, well, I can imagine it being very cathartic to, to have such yeah. a, like, artistic freedom, you know. Yeah, and you know what? I also, you know, after, after quarantine, you know, the bars are going to have rules, 
that are going to prohibit what I do so deeply that I actually feel like I'm probably going to end up moving predominantly into art spaces because I don't know how I will ever be able to do what I do in a bar that sells alcohol again. Um, There were already enough problems around it, but now I'm really centering my, my, what I think about like the future. And, you know, one of the things that I, you know, about plague mass that I love so much, you know, and one of the things that is so important to me is like the idea that, you know, maybe one day, you know, we could get to a pretty high amount of subscribers and I could be actually not only employing a couple people around me who work on the show, but also we can, you know, create a tour where I take five regular Plague Mask performers and then we tour to multiple cities. And then in those cities, we book five local performers and then we pay everybody extremely well and equally. I think um, that's amazing. I it's really amazing. We need more of that in the art world. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's going to take... It's, it's that moment, my commitment to artists getting paid mm-hmm. um, and that, the valuing of what they do that that's I, you know, I, I think through most of my time on Dragula, mostly what I do is defend art and artists. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, it's, um, a, it's a good point, because I remember like, you know, I, I went to art school, I graduated um, with a degree in art in 2009, and I couldn't even like get a job in that world they wanted me to have all of these unpaid internships and you know it's it's good to get the experience but you know i had bills to pay i didn't come from money i didn't have you know the advantage of getting to do the unpaid mm-hmm. art internship nonsense so i'm glad that you're very vocal about yeah. like equal pay and that and to piggyback kind of off of what mark just said i also went to um art school i went to school for theater and, you know, I'm finding after like post graduation, like being having to create your own experiences, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, because you you can go on these auditions and, you know, directors, producers, they're looking for a certain look. And if you're not in that look, mm-hmm. that's that's it you know and i've come to realize like for me it's been like about creating my own experiences and creating my own art um because i i don't care what anybody else has to say you know you you are who you are yeah and that i i that i really connect with i also have a degree in theater um uh, and, uh, you know, what was I going to do? Spend the rest of my life, um, you know, wait, wait 20, 30 years so that I, they could finally cast me mm-hmm. as an unattractive old fat woman. <laughs> you know, like I, I just like, you know, the, the, the stretch of, of it. And then like the, uh, the way in which theater doesn't grow its stories to reflect the times is really frustrating. Absolutely. Um, the, the commodification, the success revolves around the Disney corporation. Mm. Like it's a very frustrating medium and it's like filled with, so many so many problems that I like I just I look at it and I go oh I'm glad I'm out of it and I worked and worked and worked in theater I've been a production manager a technical director a casting director a theater teacher a a director a a playwright an assistant playwright you know and I like huffed it up and down and I know what it is to be rejected a million and one Mm -hmm. times you know so like um you know like there's the thing about art is that you know I always talk about how so many, so many times in history, we find that the the artists that have some of the most durational uh, careers in art that impacts the world so deeply um, are not successful in their time, and that has a lot to do with the fact that the main artists who are successful are the children of people with money, mm-hmm. and. Um, mm-hmm. Like, how can they possibly, right now, how could we possibly allow the children with 
uh, people with money to lead us out of capitalism. <laughs> yeah, not yeah. happening. I mean, no. um, it's I just like, you know, the revolution will happen from the people who have nothing to lose. And as far as I'm concerned, that revolution will happen through art. And often revolution and political stances in art leave artists penniless. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, but like that does, that's not to say that it's not an impact for a longer term. But like we need more artists standing out there and, you know, um, uh, you know, holding holding down their their narrative through storytelling. The human brain is formed through oral storytelling and language. And that is art. Art literally like has formed our ability to connect with one another, uh, the way we think. All of the things we do is formed through this. This is why it's one of the most powerful, powerful things. Our, our storytelling connects us to each other. And capitalism throughout America has done nothing but disconnect us from each other. That's and so right. our goal to reconnect, to see one another, I always revolve around this word dignity because I'm a really big fan of the anti-capitalist uh, uh, John Holloway who talks a lot about dignity. And I, I think about it a lot because not all people are people and just in that dichotomy we were talking about earlier with you know what a man is is to fuck a woman and what a woman is is an object to be fucked like a man that means a a woman is not a person a woman is an object you know um who are people in the united states of america constitution and we can all easily say that's that's there's only one one kind of person that fits the narrative Mm -hmm. and that is this white heterosexual man with money Mm -hmm. that is a person and now even more there's one other thing that fits it after citizens united corporations are people mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. and what we don't do is we don't look at people and see their inherent dignity and believe that they have dignity and that they're worth dignity and this has to do with respect and seeing people and it also has to do with the fact that as americans we turn away from trauma endlessly we turn away from the trauma of the slavery that we promote throughout the world we turn away from the trauma of the wars that our country has waged throughout the, the, the world, we turn away from all of the horrible things our corporations and our neighbors and our families do. We don't, we turn a blind eye to it. Yeah. We go shopping to treat our feelings. Mm-hmm. You know, retail therapy is so real here that we are the largest consumers in, in the world. I think it's so funny when people are afraid that corporations will use their them leaving the United States as a way to manipulate, you know, and make our, you know, leave the United States. Where are you going to go where people buy as much shit? Well, it's so true. If you're a business who doesn't want to pay taxes, leave the fucking United States. Exactly. Because I like your business survive without the fucking United States. Oh God, I know. Like, honestly, where is Scientology going without the United States, for God's sake? Like, fucking You know what? I am looking out my window in in, uh, Los Angeles right now, and I can see the giant Scientology. Oh, for God's sake. Oh, burn it down. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. Where's Shelly Miscavige? We're still waiting. God God damn it. (laughs) Where the fuck is Shelly? Oh, God. Oh, well, you Uh, are such a fucking awesome person, Hollow Eve. We are just so in love with you. We're so grateful to have you on. (laughs) Truthfully. Thank you. Thank you so much. 
so much for having me on. Please, thank you for coming on. And Hollow Eve, where can people find you? Like, just like to reiterate for everybody, your Instagram. Yeah, my Instagram is Hollow Eve. Everything is Hollow Eve, pretty much. So um, it's Hollow Eve. Uh, my website is HollowEve.com. Uh, I'm the only one that's kind of different is the Hollow Eve on Twitter, mm-hmm. and then uh, it's uh, Subscribestar.com backslash, backslash Plague Math. Um, you know, if you want to come and join, join and be a part of of that magic. But I everything I don't give trigger warnings. <laughs> I'm, I could be, I could be your trigger warning. I so love you, it. That's you know, good I, enough. I do, it's going to be hard for you to watch what some of my friends do. That's the trigger warning is that it's a show produced by me. Listen, that's good enough yes. for us. And if it's not good enough for others, well, too damn bad. It is what it is. <laughs> well, hollow again. Thank you so thank much. You, yeah, thank, thank you. you so much. Thank you so much. Really. Thank you, Jennifer and, and Mark and uh, Mark. Hey guys, thank you so much for listening to this episode of Bizarre Buffet. Please make sure to follow us on Instagram and to like us on Facebook. And wherever you enjoy listening to this podcast, please make sure to subscribe. It helps us a lot, and we'll see you all very soon.